0: See, your, your pastor is wiser than you know because you always get the guest guy to talk about money. <laughs> no, some of you, okay, all right, that's fine, all right. Some of you are nervous, that's good, that's good. Uh, well, here's what, uh, yeah, first of all, thanks, John, for the, for the introduction. Um, it's my joy, to, my joy to be here, as always. I've gotten to come up here a few times, and uh, yeah, I enjoy it. So uh, here's what I'd love to do this morning. Uh, in just a moment, I'm gonna read back through Matthew chapter six, 19 through 21, and then 24. Uh, it's not that 23 is not important, uh, I just don't have enough time to go into it like I'd like. Uh, and then we're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to spend some time listening. Uh, most of the time when, when we've heard greed talk about, uh, even as maybe some of us have heard Matthew 6 preached about before, um, if we're not careful, uh, we end up in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in, a, in a good effort to oppose greed, um, even, even in talking about the gospel and using grace. It ends up becoming a, uh, a very spiritualized finance seminar. Um, and that is not what I think the Lord wants us to hear this morning. Uh, it would be very easy to read Matthew 6 and hear the Lord talk about how to, uh, what to do with your finances, sort of the nuts and bolts of that, and I certainly think that is incredibly important. Uh, but I think what the Lord longs for us to hear this morning uh, is that the reason why the stewardship of our finances is so important is because what is tied to that is the stewardship of our souls. Uh, And if you had to put the two next to each other, our souls and our finances, both are important to God, but one is much more precious. Um, And so uh, I want us to, again, begin in Scripture, I'll pray, and then let us listen together. So uh, listen now with open ears to the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, and then verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Friends, these are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Almighty God, as your people gather this morning. Lord, to you all hearts are open, all desires are known. Lord, from you there are no secrets that we can hide. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would cleanse our thoughts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you, that we might magnify your holy name in a worthy manner. And Lord, we pray now that the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of all your children's heart would be acceptable to you through Christ our Lord and the people of God said, amen. Uh, There's a story told of a small town in the Swiss Alps uh, that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. And this stream was one of the best streams you would have ever found. Uh, It came from a number of of deep mountain springs. Uh, The water was crystal clear. You could see straight through the bottom of it, and it flowed down the mountains and into the village below. The children loved to play in it. Uh, The wildlife loved to gather to it. Uh, and it provided life uh, and nourishment for this village. Uh, but at the very top of the mountain, there lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. Uh, he had been hired ages ago. Uh, no, in fact, no one could really remember a time when he had not been there. And he would walk up and down next to the springs. And he would remove branches. He would remove fallen debris from the stream that would pollute the water. Uh, Much of his work, in fact, all of his work was unseen. Uh, But because of his work, the village below had access to pure, clean, life-giving water. Well, one year, uh, the local, church, uh, the local uh, town council got together, as many local town councils do, and decided that their money needed to be spent in other places, that there were roads that needed repairs, uh, there, was, there were parks that they wanted to do, and so they decided to cut the funding that paid for the old man to guard the spring. And so the old man left his post, and the spring water went untended. Soon, tree branches uh, began to fall into the stream, and, and that resulted in muddy water that began to flow. And for a time, no one in the village noticed, but soon the water began to look brackish. The wildlife found different streams in which to live. The children no longer played. The water was no longer crisp to drink. The village life had depended on the stream, and the life of the stream had depended on the keeper. And so the town council reconvenes and realizes the mistake, and they go ahead and rehire the old man, and soon the water was pure again. Illness had been replaced with health, wildlife came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. Well, in this story, your soul is the stream, and with God, you are the old man. You are the keeper of the stream. Your soul is precious to God. It is like a stream of water that gives strength and direction and harmony to every other area of your life. And when your stream is as God created it to be, you are constantly refreshed because your soul rests in the vastness of God and his kingdom whose praises we have sung this morning. And As we talk through a series on American gods, these are these gods, these sins, as all sin does, uh, but certainly the sins of pride, envy, anger, sloth, gluttony, lust, and greed that have their way like branches do of blocking the stream, of creating brackish water where there's intended to be health, muddy water where there's intended to be um, uh, clear water, death where there is intended to be life. These, these cardinal sins that, that we're talking about, even the, the sin of greed has a way of cutting off life where God intends for there to be life. And it's not just in your bank statement, it is in the very depths of who you are before God, your soul. The sin of pride blinds you to the beauty and greatness of God. Envy blinds you to the provision of God in the everyday moments of life. Anger blinds you to the slow work of God in your life and others. Gluttony blinds you to the beauty of what it is you're consuming. Lust blinds you to the enjoyment offered in relationship with God. And as we come to greed, greed blinds you. It fogs your vision like it does the water of your soul to the trustworthiness of God, whose mercy not only endures forever, but whose love and provision is loyal, it is steadfast. Because greed at its core is idolatry. This is Paul's point, both to young, young Timothy and the church in Colossae. To Timothy, he says that the love of money, not money, right? A lot of times that gets quoted the, that money is the root of all evils, and that feels like that would just solve the problem, but it's actually much worse than that. It's, like, it's the love of money. That is the root of all kind of evil. In Colossians, Paul uses the word covetousness, which is just a different word for greed, and he says, this is idolatry. It is worshiping something other than God. It's worshiping something other than God, but it's also a, our greed, our, our, our excessive love of money and what money can buy. It is a functional confession. We, we confessed, we professed our faith using the Apostles' Creed this morning. But what our greed does is it professes, it's our own creed, our greed professes that God cannot be trusted, that God cannot be trusted, and that God cannot be enjoyed. And yet what we see in Holy Scripture, what we see in the gospel itself, what we even see is the evidence of God's grace in in our lives and the lives around us, is that the opposite is true. That God is not only the only thing worthy of our worship, but that he can be trusted. And more than that, the Lord can be enjoyed. In Exodus chapter 38, the Lord is going about building his tabernacle, and he instructs Moses to to recruit in order to get the fine linens and the gold and the silver and the jewels. He had instructed the Israelites as they're leaving uh, Egypt in order to sort of like pillage the land, and so they end up leaving with all of this treasure. And in Exodus 38, God says, Moses, that's where you're going to get the, the building materials. And so Moses is like, all right, I guess I'm going to ask. It's like the very first capital campaign. Nobody wants to do it. He goes out and goes, all right, guys, here's the supplies we need. And what he is taken aback by in Exodus 38 is that so much is given that he has to say, stop. It's too much gold, it's too much fine linen, it's too much jewels. Their generosity overwhelms him. But notice where this comes. Does this come in Exodus chapter three? No, it comes in Exodus chapter 38. It is not what God demands in order to set them free, but rather it is a generosity that has overflowed from God's generosity in that we're already well into the story of the Exodus. God has set them free from Egypt. He has provided them with manna, with water. He has defeated the, the, the armies of Egypt. And in response to his generosity, in response to his hospitality, what overflows in the people's hearts is they cannot give enough. Now that being said, I I wish that the answer, and oftentimes when I've heard greed talked about, um, oftentimes the answer is just remember how generous God has been to you. That's it. That's how you deal with greed. It's the one silver bullet Jesus forgot to mention. Just remember how generous God has been with you, and it certainly is not less than that. It is incredibly important. You see this pattern throughout all of Holy Scripture of of the generosity of God. The response to that is the generosity of God's people, but like the stream that needs to be decluttered, there is some soul work for you and I to do that God not only invites us to, but also commands us to, and that's what's going on here in Matthew chapter six? It is yes, remember how generous God has been to you, but also there is some soul work, there is some tending to your soul to be done. And so what Jesus is going to give us in Matthew chapter six is actually stewardship instructions. And this practice of stewardship, this rhythm of grace of of practicing stewardship, it's actually the bolt cutters that cut the, the chains of greed that attach themselves to your heart. Now if you remember, a steward is, is a person who has been entrusted, not with their own belongings and resources, but with someone else's resources. But they don't just get to manage those resources however they want, but instead they are told how to steward the owner's resources. It's to fall in line with the owner's visions and values. And so as we come to this passage, we remember that we are not only stewards of all that God's given us, our our finances and the material goods, but I would even argue more importantly, you are a steward of your soul. You are a steward of the soul that God has given you. But stewardship of our souls is not detached from stewardship of our resources. In fact, what we'll see today in verse 21 is that they're actually deeply linked. And so the question we ask as we go into Matthew chapter 6 is what are God's desires for our possessions? What are God's desires for the stewardship of our soul? And I want us to listen to two things this morning. First, is that God desires that earthly treasures have their proper place in our soul. That earthly treasures have their proper place in our soul. Uh, Verse 19 through 20, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, invest not in earthly treasures but in heavenly treasures. Invest not, what is, uh, not, not in that which is perishable, but heavenly treasure which is imperishable. Now here's what Jesus is not doing. Jesus is not forbidding savings. In fact, scripture, uh, Holy Scripture speaks of the wisdom of savings. He's not speaking against having a home, having a car, eating out, enjoying good vacations. He's not speaking out against those things, but what he is inviting us to do is to make the bulk of our investments in his kingdom in the kingdom that he is declaring, in the kingdom that he is proclaiming. Because heavenly treasure here is that which is most valued by God. Listen, God values your family vacation. God values your home and your job and your savings. Those are things that God finds value in. But the penultimate thing that God values is your soul in his kingdom. And so what is it that God values? He values our soul. He values the souls of others. Again, two things that greed cuts us off from the stewardship of our soul and the stewardship of the souls of others. It refers to such things as as, as growing in Christ-likeness, the increase of faith, hope, and love, growth in the knowledge of Christ. Heavenly treasure is things like evangelism, service, discipleship, caring for one another, restoring one another, reconciliation, using our money for kingdom causes. These are the things that the Lord lays out before us and says, invest in these things. And depending on how God's wired you and made you, some of those will come more naturally. It will be more natural investment for you. It's why I love that Jesus doesn't go, and here's what I mean by that. He leaves it. He just goes in in heavenly treasure and he sort of leaves it open-ended. But Jesus' point here is that the reality is you're going to either invest into, you're either going to invest your finances, and, and I would even say not your finances, but you're either going to invest God's finances into your own kingdom or into his. And Jesus' invitation is, hey, invest it in mine. And the danger with not doing this is, is that we ignore the owner's commands. But the other danger is that we end up attaching our heart, our soul to earthly things that muddy the waters of our own souls. Again, greed has a way, investing what is God's in our own kingdom has a way of blinding us to God and to others. It says, again, it's either some of you come out, right, and this is, the, oh, this is like one sin that, that most of us are willing to judge in others but not judge in ourselves. And probably I would imagine as I bring up greed, you're like, mm, I'm sad that so-and-so isn't here, but I'm really glad that so-and-so is here, and I doubt that you're either so-and-so. Good, I'll make sure you're tracking with that. I wasn't sure if that was going to make sense. But greed says, I am the most important thing in the universe. And yet that would be so odd for us to stand up and when it says, let us profess what we believe. And you begin with, I believe in me. I believe in in what I want. I believe that I can get it by any means necessary. Oh man, that sounds like so many political platforms. It's the American dream and I'm not here to bash it, but I'm here to pull back the the curtain on it and reveal it for what it is, as brackish water. It says the most, greed says the most important thing in the universe is me. In fact, we've all met these people. In fact, some of you are these people. It doesn't just result in, in frivolous spending, but it also, for some of you, means stingy spending. You're not even willing to give generously to a need. That when someone comes and says, I don't know how we're going to pay our electricity bill, your first jump is to... Well, go get a better paying job if you're worth the, you know, if you're worth half the worth of your biggest toenail, then you can find a job in this country. In that moment, you are professing out of, and it's coming out of your heart, but you're professing with your mouth that you are the most important thing in the universe, that you know the fullness of their lives and can make that judgment. It could be wasting money. It could be spending money frivolously. But what the Lord's point is, is that if you put your wallet to your ear, what you hear is your heart. What you see is your soul. In verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart, there will your soul be also. Jesus here is reminding us that our heart and our soul will attach itself to whatever we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in. Our affections, our loves, our souls have a, have a very easy way of following the money. And whatever, whatever we've invested in will become the most important thing. And listen, God is jealous for that spot. And oftentimes when we hear jealous, even God say, I am a jealous God, we tend to think of it over again, you pull in with a nicer car than me, and I really wish that I had that. But when we think of God as jealous, it's the type of jealousy that I experience throughout the week when my wife sends me pictures of, of, their tea part, of her tea party with the girls. It's my longing to be in that place. So when we hear that God is a jealous God, he longs to be in the central place of our lives. Because God desires, and this is the second, so if the first stewardship principle is God desires that earthly treasure have the proper place in our souls, the second is God desires that we serve him alone. Verse 24, Jesus lays out and says, you can only have one master. It will either be money and what money can buy, or it will be God." And money and what money can buy are, again, not bad things. This isn't a poverty gospel that God is calling for. But what he is saying is that, listen, while money and what money can buy are not bad things, they make for awful masters. They're like the slave drivers in Egypt. They will exhaust you. It will beat you down, and it will not think twice about it. It will never be enough. It's like salt water that you drink that leaves you thirsty. They will exalt you, they will beat you down because your soul was not created to be in bondage to earthly things. Genesis chapter one, our souls, us with God were placed in dominion over creation but what greed does is places us in submission to it. God desires to be the master because again, he created you. He knows how to care for you. He knows how to, how to produce life and flourishing. Jesus himself saying, I come to give life and life abundant. He knows best. And so he longs to, to care for your soul and be the master over it. But when we enslave ourselves to the material world, when we tether ourselves to creation, our souls cry out for God. And like the people of God who cried out in Egypt... Under the burden of slavery, God hears the cry of our souls. And sometimes it's coming to the, to the rock bottom and saying, Lord, I need your help. But what's interesting to me, and again in the book of Exodus, is we're never actually told of any moment in which the people of God actually cried out asking for rescue. And yet it says that God heard their cry because God was close and God was paying attention. Even in the moments where they didn't realize they needed him, he recognized their need for him. And that is good news because the one who is the great provider of our needs is also the one who can see our needs before we even see them. And so just as God heard their cries, he hears our cries and he cares. He cares about what takes up space in our soul. He cares that money and what money can buy be in its proper place. He cares that the stream is not polluted. I think often of Jesus clearing the temple. Again, it's easy to look at that as this weird moment of fit and anger. But to understand that it was driven by, Jesus loved his father's house he cleared out the temple because he saw it being used improperly. It was cutting them off from what? He said, my, house, my father's house is a house of what? Prayer. Everybody say prayer. This conversational life with God, he saw them as, as cutting off life with God. And he was jealous for that place. And So just as Jesus clears the temple, he desires to clear our soul of those things that threaten to choke out life. Life with God that overflows in a loving life with others. And so here's what I know I know that our God is generous in his mercy. At great cost to himself, he reconciled us to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of his incarnated son. But I also know that God is generous in his grace. Again, it's so easy for us to look at grace and just think it's something undeserved. Right, but I can be in a parade and the tootsie roll that they throw out to me is both unwanted and undeserved. I didn't do anything to deserve the candy that's thrown. And so it's easy to view God's grace as just this weird parade of, of the, the Holy Trinity walking by and throwing out these different gifts. But I think a better way of understanding God's grace is this kind invasion of God's life into ours. It's this kind invasion of God's life into ours. And so God is generous in giving us his life. We see this in in the hospitality of the Trinity. The perfect community and unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet through Christ and through the coming of the Holy Spirit, they've invited us into fellowship with them. To experience the love of the Father, the gift of the Son, and the fellowship of the Spirit. They didn't have to, we don't deserve to be there. I wouldn't even know what to bring to the party. And yet he's invited us to sit at the table and dine. God struggles, and this is even too. but he doesn't, because this grace, this kind invasion of his life into ours means that we're not left on our own to clear the stream. We are not left on our own to figure out how do we get these things out, but rather God is struggling alongside us to reorder our loves and to reorder our desires, to bring us into Repentance so the invitation for us this morning is to confess the danger of greed in our, that, that greed is to our soul. To confess, to be in agreement with God, to say, yes, this is a danger for my soul. It threatens to choke off, not, not relationship, but companionship with God. The very thing that he longs for. Greed chokes off this companionship. It it pursues companionship with with that which can be bought while ignoring the companionship with which God has purchased you for. It takes up space where it does not belong. And some of us, some of us have sat by and allowed the stream to be clogged. Some of us, because of the desires of our heart, have even thrown branches into the stream. We've thought, I'll be defined by what I can throw in, what I can uh, accumulate for myself, not just in finances, but maybe it's in a, a position, a job position. Maybe your greed has, has come out in longing for the affirmation and the, and, the, and the love of other people. Maybe it's come out and you just, you wanna gather all the knowledge, you wanna know everything. Regardless of what it is, those things are not bad things in and of themselves. Satan cannot create, and so whether it's pride or envy or lust or greed, it is Satan, the enemy, using something good in order to clog the stream that would cut you off from companionship with God. If he can do that, he'll be satisfied, because companionship with God implies reconciliation with God, so he can't unreconcile you, but man, if he can clog the stream and cut you off from the source of life... So not only do we confess the danger of greed in our soul, but we steward faithfully what is God's. We steward our souls by stewarding our possessions. We see both of those as ultimately God's, not ours. It's the great lie that, that so many of us as Americans, it's so easy to believe that what we own is ours. If you want it, come and take it. It's mine. And yet what the Lord is inviting us into is beginning to see reality as it is. No matter how much you think it's yours, reality says it is not. There is no way for you to change reality. I cannot simply sit here and go, it is night. And you're like, bro, it's 1130. I go, it is night. No matter how many times I say it, it doesn't make it true because the reality is it is day. So the reality is, is all that we have, all that we own, including our souls, belong to God. And so we are called to use them as God commands. We are called to sit with him and go, what does it look like to steward this well? And then to walk that out faithfully, recognizing that it is the kind invasion of his life into ours. It is his grace that allows us to do so. And what God promises is to meet us in this and to give us life. Pray with me. Lord, we pray that you would grant to us, Lord, the spirit to think and to always do those things that are right, that we who cannot exist without you may by you be enabled to live according to what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, and the people of God said, Amen.